I believe there are two ways to approach our lives. One is looking at it as a series of norms we have to live into and objectives we have to achieve. This view is full of expectations, pressures, bias, and systemic dynamics that continuously need to be overcome. The other is to look at life as a series of choices we make and goals we set for ourselves, a life that is full of agency, growth, and opportunity. Welcome to Live Stoked and Lead Stoked, where we explore both life and work from that latter perspective. I'm your host, Sarah Bettman, coach, consultant, and speaker. More importantly, I'm a fellow traveler on the path towards living my own stoked life, and I'm passionate about helping others do the same. Let's jump into this exploration of life and work and what it means to live and lead stoked. Hello, everyone. It's great to have you here today. Uh, This is the second Ask Me Anything, and I've decided to go a little bit of a different route. I've had two experiences in the last week that are inspiring this Q&A, and one is that I just returned from a trip to Bologna, Italy, where I was invited to speak to the Bologna Business School Global MBA program on the challenges of leading DEI. And then I'm also partnering with a colleague to present a leadership development program on inclusive leadership. During both of these things, I was asked a number of questions that I thought were interesting and decided that I'm going to use my Ask Me Anything time to answer these questions as it relates to the work that I've been doing in the last couple of weeks. So before we jump into the Q&A, I'd like to share just some interesting facts about the Bologna Business School. And actually, the University of Bologna was started, founded in 1088, and it's the oldest continuous running university in the world. The business school was uh, founded in 2000 as a consortium of other educational facilities and has become one of the largest business school of a public university in Italy. The concentrations of the global MBA program are food and wine, motorsports, so think Ferrari, Maserati, Lamborghini, all are based near Bologna and design and fashion, green energy and sustainability and corporate finance. So the group that was in the room was from all over the world. Many of them have lived in multiple countries. And I think this is important because a lot of times, especially if you're in the United States, you're hearing these discussions about diversity inclusion, and it really is just through an American lens, a U.S. lens. And sometimes depending on where the person is based, it might even be through an industry lens or through a regional lens. So one of the reasons why I love going to the Bologna Business School, and I've been doing this two years, this is my first time in person, so my third year, is it requires me to get back to my roots of this work of culture and inclusion across the globe, because the experience of diversity inclusion is as different as the participants that were in the room, the students that were in the room. And some have moved to Italy for this MBA program, and it's the only other country they've lived in but many have lived in many different countries and frankly have way more experience with cultural diversity than I do. What's interesting though, having worked with executives that have similar backgrounds, it still doesn't take away from the experience of learning about difference and different people through the context within which you're doing work. So that was uh, very exciting and fun. A couple other little statistics to know is there are porticos in Bologna And they're considered a World Heritage Site, and they're 62 kilometers long. So there are very few places that you walk along the street in Bologna that isn't covered with a portico. And what I found really interesting about it is it was used to expand the living space from um, kind of blur the lines of private property and public property 
But one of the stories that I loved hearing was the population expanded so much due to the university, it became a place for students to sleep. So I don't feel so bad about my dorm in college uh, because I wasn't sleeping on the streets. But anyway, some interesting fun things about that program. So anyway, what does this have to do with Live Stoked, Lead Stoked? Well, in, in my mind, it has everything to do with Live Stoked and Lead Stoked because relationships are so fundamental to who we are and they're not always easy. And if you think about it, think about the greatest leader you've ever worked with or the organization that you've worked with. What was it about the experience? Now, I imagine you would tell me something about you really felt like you were contributing something bigger, your independent ideas were meaningful and and helped the organization be better. You felt that you were making a difference. You could be yourself, whatever that meant to you. Many different things can be involved in that best experience. And that really is a fundamental of living stoked. When you get curious about difference and no longer have to know about everyone, but get comfortable with asking questions, tell me more. How did you come to that idea? Tell me more about your upbringing. How does that influence you today? When you engage in those conversations, they are much richer conversations. And so for the Live Stoked side, I think my life is richer for the friends and family, frankly, that I have all over the globe that challenge the norms that I grew up with, the context within which I grew up. But I also think it's really important as leaders to be able to lead a team that's made up with difference in order for them to bring their best selves, for lack of a better description, and contribute to something bigger. So basically, this means that it's all part of it. So that's the theme for today's AMA, Leading the DEI Challenge in Organizations. I should be also very clear, I specialize in organizational culture, leadership development within organizations. I'm not a nonprofit expert, though I've done some work with nonprofits, but there are people much better than I. I'm certainly not a community organizer, and you've seen my picture. I'm a white woman. I'm not here to share my lived experience or try to be the voice of other groups of people and different identities, it is important that I use my voice to share how we learn about difference, how we get out of our own minds and our own beliefs to be able to better engage and be in relationships within a corporate setting. And what that means to me, and it implies a few things. One, an organization has culture, whether it's written mission values or just behaviors and way we do things, it creates the container for inclusion. It becomes the why bother, which I'll talk about here in a second. And there are goals that can be measured as a result of engagement, engaging employees, allowing them to contribute their best. So that's the place I play. I also play in early stage organizations that are just getting started. They're trying to wrap their heads around what does being an inclusive organization mean to them? Why bother even doing it? And they really fundamentally want to do it well. So I want to be clear because when people say they practice DEI, it really is kind of that second line of how do they practice it. There are many different ways to practice it. There are people much smarter than I when it comes to policies, procedures, analytics, equity, and measuring those things. And there are people who have lived experiences that are fantastic at helping people and bringing people along through sharing their stories. I'm not that. I focus on culture, leadership development, and change in organizations, and that's from which the, the lens I'm going to be answering these questions. So enough caveats, let's get into the first question. So why the backlash, DEI doesn't work, 
And I'm actually bundling a couple of questions because here in the United States, there is a lot of backlash, anti-woke agenda, all these sorts of things. And all these kind of lead into what I believe is one of the fundamental problems in the space of DEI. And that is that organizations are strategic and tactical. Many organizations that are great at strategy and tactics are high-performing organizations. They know how to do it. They know how to measure. They know how to get things done. The problem is diversity, equity, inclusion, or at least being able to lead an inclusive culture is actually a leadership development problem and a culture problem by extension. Meaning as leaders, we have to look in the mirror. We have to learn about difference. We have to navigate a shame cycle when we realize that our understanding of a person's experience um, may not be what their true experience is. And so it starts with us looking in the mirror and then with a leadership team, that group getting together and saying, why is this important to us? Why should we do this hard work and learn to be different? And then a commitment to pause, think differently, behave differently. From there comes the strategic and tactical, but I have seen many companies fast track because leadership is a commitment to growing and learning, and that's not always easy. And so it's much easier to fast track to the results in the spreadsheets and the the metrics, but I think you have to earn your way to those things. So the reason why I think there's some backlash is companies went to what they knew, went to what they understood, but didn't address the reason that they had the problem in the first place, which is they haven't evolved and developed into inclusive leaders. And this is no judgment. I think, as I've talked to in leadership programs, there's been an evolution of leadership. 10 years ago, work stayed at work, home stayed at home. And you you didn't really, other than in different moments, you didn't really blend the two. But with new generations coming in the workforce, with COVID, I think this was happening before COVID, but COVID fast-tracked it, that line between work and life is blurry, if not non-existent. So this issue with diversity inclusion is a leadership development problem, first and foremost. Once a leader understands what it means, understands how to learn about difference, because they certainly don't believe it's about reading a book about a group and thinking you know it all. I have to say, in my experience, the more I've read, the more I've learned, the more I've talked to people, the more I realize I'm consciously incompetent. And that's where the curiosity comes in. And that curiosity is the foundation of leadership. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I I don't want to do that. It's not how I want to spend my time. If you're a leader, you already have. If you're a parent, you already have. Meaning that as a leader, there was probably a time when you promoted from a tactical role, a technical role, individual contributor to a manager and realize what made you successful as an individual contributor didn't work and you had to learn new skills to manage a team. And then if you promoted from there, you learn that what worked as a manager didn't necessarily work as a director or VP where you had to be more strategic and had to get more work done through people and through engaging people through influence using some authority, but it wasn't as linear as um, just do what I say. It's much more strategic. So part of this growth in leadership development is not different than any other leadership development you've had to do before. It's just now learning about different groups in a way that maybe you haven't had to learn before. And then I mentioned if you've had kids, been in a long-term relationship, you know, there are moments, certainly in my relationships, where you learn about a person and realize, oh, okay, that's not actually what I thought. What My intention was to do one thing, but the impact on them is something different. And I had to pause and ask, especially early dating my now husband, was 
you know, do I want to change? Do I want to do those things? Do I want to live in a certain way to be in good relationship? And I consistently said yes. He consistently said yes. And when you do this, then you're in a long-term relationship. So this leadership development process, this growth process is not something new. It's just being applied. If you've never had to consider about the experience of women, people of color ability, then that's all new. Frankly, you also need to think about experience in different departments, people in different countries, different identities, cultures, background, languages, all those things in order to be truly effective. Okay, second question. A student that I'm assuming is gay asked, when is it okay to share all of me versus hide all of me? And I'm overgeneralizing the question, but I'll, I'll share some context. I'm assuming he's gay by the way he asked the question and is in a long-term relationship. And he shared that in some places he doesn't identify who his partner is, uses the pronouns they, them, so it, it's not uh, identified as a he. He said he does this in a way so that the people he's interacting with will feel more comfortable. But where where is that line? Is that okay? And it's a tough question because there's a concept, now this is my words for it, but uh, flexing versus twisting. And when we're authentic in ourselves, we're grounded in ourselves, but many times we are not. And therefore we end up twisting ourselves to fit into the identity of what others want of us. So for example, when I was a firefighter, I twisted myself and hid my femininity. I think I talked about this on a previous podcast. It was out of trying to hide the fact that I was a woman. Now, if you saw me, you've seen my picture. It's not easy to hide, but I was so ashamed of showing up as a woman. I was twisting, think wringing out a sponge of water. I was twisting and wringing out the identity so that I could fit in. So if, if someone needs to do that so that they can fit in because they feel that they have to hide who they are from a place that isn't authentic in choosing, I think that has long-term issues and impacts. If you're flexing, and what that means is you're grounded in yourself, but you're choosing to show up a certain way to fit in and be in good relationship with others, which I think this is how he was describing it in a follow-up conversation after I feel confident that that was the case, that he was choosing to show up this way and it was okay. He didn't feel like he was hiding. He didn't feel like he was getting rid of a part of himself so that he could fit in. He was flexing. So starting from an authentic place, flexing who he was, how he uh, identifies who his partner was in order to be good relationship in these certain situations. Now, frankly, we do that sometimes. How I show up at the opera versus camping is different. And I, I'm still authentically myself, but I need to be more formal when I'm at the opera or if I'm at a nice dinner than I might be if I were sitting around the campfire with beers. Neither one is right or wrong, but here's the thing. If I were showing up formally because I was afraid of what people thought, that's not flexing, that's twisting. So that was an important thing that he was thinking about, how he shows up. But the leadership piece, which was getting to, I think, the deeper question that we ended up discussing was it's important for a leader to create an environment where people may need to flex and show up at different ways but they aren't twisting. They're not wringing out certain parts of their identity for fear of not being able to fit in, for fear of not being able to contribute. And, and fear being kind of the key word there. Uh, in my world, it was fear that drove me. It may be something different for others. But the, the lead stoked part of this is leading environments so people are stoked to be a part of it and recognizing when people might choose to do things a little bit different and share. It's 
sometimes appropriate for us to share our family. It's sometimes appropriate to share some deep thoughts and vulnerability, but sometimes it just isn't, and that's okay. So the question that we were getting at was, is it okay? And I, I think where I, where we left it is, it is okay to choose to show up differently in different environments for the sake of the well-being, your well-being, and for the sake of the relationship. It is not okay long-term to do it at the expense of who you are, your identity, or at the expense of your well-being. So I feel like that was a long answer all over the place. It was a rich discussion. I hope I captured it here. You be the judge. You tell me, but I'm going to move on to the next question. Okay. I love this next. I love all these questions, frankly, but this one is one I get a lot and it came up in Bologna. How can I influence my organization? I feel they can do so much more. And my answer really shortly is you can't sometimes. And the truth of the matter is sometimes we want our organizations to be something different than they are, and they aren't capable of shifting. And we want to influence it. We want to change it. But the culture is so pervasive that we can't. So one thing that I think is important is that organizations have integrity. And what I mean by that is they are, what they say they are on the outside is the same as they are on the inside. So for example, Hobby Lobby is a U.S. organization espouse Christian principles, but they're Christian principles that are anti-LGBTQ. And their number one value says this, and they have uh, donated frequently to anti-LGBTQ laws, anti-transgender laws. They have done a number of things to be very clear about where they stand around LGBTQ people. And the thing is, they've been clear about it. They haven't hidden it. They have not put a rainbow flag on anything and claim to be inclusive and then have someone go inside and find something different. They're an integrity and we can vote with our dollars. We can choose if we're going to work with them, but it's really clear. They're an integrity. We know where they stand. Don't necessarily need to like it, but we know where they stand. The same Patagonia would be another activist organization on behalf of the environment. I always like to say, if you don't believe in climate change, you probably don't want to work for Patagonia because they're also an integrity. You can expect certain things from them as an organization because of where they stand. So the question starts to become that, you know, are you in love with the potential of what's possible versus are you in love with the reality? And really, I came to this through dating. So many times I would date someone and I was so in love with the potential, what could be, but at the expense of what was really there and what was happening, and I'll be frank, for my partners, It was like I wanted more for them than they wanted for themselves. And this isn't a good thing, right? You'd think, oh, well, that's good, right? We want to be in partnerships that make people better. No, I was doing this at the expense of seeing them and being with them and being able to acknowledge that they can't give me what I need. And we do this in organizations all the time. We think an organization's dreamy. We want them to be a certain way and we get inside and we realize they aren't. So when we talk about how you can influence the organization, there are many ways to do it, whether it's starting inclusion councils, resource groups, sharing your ideas, sharing education. But the bottom line is you have to look at the culture of the organization and what the appetite is, frankly, of the senior leadership team that will tell you how far you can go. And for this person in the follow-up conversation, you know, when I feel like they could do so much more was, was a follow-up, it came down to but can they do so much more, really? Um, Are they signaling that they can do so much more? There was more, but I don't know if this organization would ever become what this person wanted of them. 
And so for that person, we got to talking about where is the context? Where is the place you can make the most difference? And it might not be in your organization, but it might be on your team. You may choose to do things on your team to create an inclusive environment that aren't necessarily pervasive through the organization, but you in our house, in our team, as we live the values, our expression of the values are with a bit more inclusion than maybe is being done across the organization. But I think it's always good to ask yourself, do I want to, right? We have our day jobs, we have our lives, the things we're doing, and we don't necessarily always want to be the driver of change if the organization isn't flexing to the change. So the hard answer to that is you can't really change a system, a large organization, if they don't want to be changed. Okay, next question. I think this is our final question. How does one become mature enough to be inclusive? Do we just have to wait until someone gets enough life experience? The answer to this is yes and no. And I should share this was part of the presentation where I talked a little bit about generations and how every generation, older generation, is has felt bad feelings for the younger generation, but they were, you know, they're 20 years old when they're coming to the organization. They're maturing, they're they're becoming managers. And they're doing it in a different way. So every older generation has had bad things to say about the younger generation for time in perpetuity or whatever the phrase is. But there is some more that we can do here. So the yes to this answer is there's just some things we have to go through and learn in order to experience to create the wisdom that gets us here. So an early career 20-something will not have the wisdom, say, of a 60-year-old who's sunsetting their career just because of the things they've done. The same also is, you know, a new new leader coming into a brand new organization, even a new industry, can't necessarily have industry knowledge of someone who grew up in the industry and is, has worked their way through an organization. So this isn't necessarily an age thing, but there are some things where it just takes time and learning and orientation to get up to speed to in this case, we're talking about being inclusive, but to also engage in many different ways in in an organization. The no part is there's a lot we can do to support people along the way. In an organization that I worked with years ago, there was a a man that was first-generation college, first-generation corporation, and he was getting performance managed for some behavioral things. And the foresight of the leader was to call me, and I'd, I'd like to say I contributed something to this, but I absolutely did not. The foresight of this leader was to say, you know, this student hasn't gotten the rule book. You know, a lot of people who go to college, they do internships, they got the invisible rule book of how to get along in corporate America. And if they came from a small organization into a large Fortune 500, they might not have the rule book. If they're the first person in their house going to college and then getting into a corporation, they may not have gotten the rule book. And what I mean by that is the metaphor for the ways you engage in a workplace. And the truth of the matter is that could be generally through life experience, but it could also be just simply how people work in different types of cultures. So what happened with this employee, I guess going back, some of the issues he was having, he wasn't following through on work. He wasn't showing up on time to meetings and not showing up prepared. In the culture of this organization, that was really important. And so this leader wanted resources to help teach him about how to show up with business acumen, how to show up with executive acumen, and those sorts of things. Now, we have to be careful because sometimes that is a very white-centered rule book. And so being mindful that part of creating an inclusive organization and leading uh, an inclusive team or you know, leading Stoked 
is starting to recognize those lines between where are you asking and projecting a certain way, a culture based on, say, skin color or a certain culture versus how to get along in the organization. Because for every organization, it could be different. So one of the things that's important to think about is, is grace. This person, this leader could easily have stereotyped this employee, uh, use language such as they, they do these things, very negative generalizations about the identity of this employee, but he did not. He was very clear that there is way more to a person. He knew the lines of stereotypes and he did not want to perpetuate them. So the first thing is to stop and one, am I applying a stereotype? Am I holding this person accountable to a different level of skill that if I were to be assessing a person of my own identity, similar to me bias, my likeness, that I might actually give them a pass and do something different. So it's important that we first have that grace and then we get curious about what is going on, what's missing for their development, what's missing for their learning. In this case, I've mentioned that rule book. There were some just basics about how to get along in the organization that no one had taken him under his under their arm to explain to him. And this leader was definitely doing this. For my own personal experience, when I was doing consulting globally, I'm so grateful for all the people who helped me teach globally. So I'll use time. I joke, I have a German heritage. My German engineering has me be on time, which means 15 minutes early. If I am one minute late, I'm an hour late. So I like to get to places early. But in some cultures, getting to a place 15 minutes early actually is rude and your people aren't ready for you. And in some cultures, meetings start much later. And so I learned this when I was doing work in Latin America. In Latin America, meetings showed up a lot later. And I was lucky enough to have a leader to say, okay, the meeting starts at this time, so you should be here. But at the same time, others may not be there until maybe 30 to 45 minutes later, so be flexible. I went and facilitated a program for women in leadership in Kuwait, and the meeting didn't start we all got there around nine, but the meeting didn't start till noon. And for the Kuwaiti culture, that was a norm for who needed to be in the room, some of the cultural norms about how you get started. I had people coaching me along the way because I could have gotten really frustrated. I could have uh, demanded that we get started on time. Who knows what I could have done, but I had people that coached me to be culturally mindful in the environments I was going into. So I joke, I can now do a presentation, the same presentation in four hours or 15 minutes, depending on when we get to start. But here's the thing. These leaders had grace for me. They knew by my questioning, I wanted to show up on time. I wanted to deliver well. And they were able to, to give me a yes and yes, show up on time and don't be surprised if no one's there for another hour. And so I could show up on time, but I also could hold space and be prepared for that. So we need to do that when there are people maybe early in career, new to the organization. How do we make sure they have the information they need to be successful in order to help them grow versus perpetuating some of the stereotypes about certain groups that might put them in a bucket and you miss the opportunity for developing them? So I have one more question, and, and this is from the last AMA. Someone asked me this question, and I said I would answer in the next one. It has nothing to do with anything we've talked about, but I want to honor that I said I would answer the question in the next AMA. So for you who asked it, you'll know it's coming. And it goes back to when I was a firefighter, and the question was, how did you carry people over your shoulders? And I laughed because I get that question a lot. I'm 5'4". And so 
the way they do it in the movies, throw people over the shoulder. There are people who can do that. And usually it's a lighter, bigger person and a lighter person. But actually in Fire Academy, they teach us many different ways of how to move people, whether it's from dragging them, whether it's um, putting them on like a backpack, shrugging your shoulders and dragging their feet on the floor, carrying them uh, in your arms, carrying them with the buddy, using a strap to drag them. So I did not throw anyone over my shoulder. I actually never really had to. Most of my lifting was lifting a person onto a backboard, onto a gurney. I didn't necessarily ever have to drag anyone out of a burning building or drag anyone long distance without having tools to do so. So even mountain rescue, I had a wheel, had a litter, had systems, had people. But there are people that probably could just pick up someone like me and throw them over their shoulders and run out of building. But that's not what they trained us in Fire Academy to do. They trained us to do many different things. But the number one thing they trained us to do is wherever possible, whenever possible, lift safely and get help. So hope that answers your question. Well, that's it for the AMA. I hope you like the format. I know I'm uh, incredibly inspired by the students I work with this last week. And though there were many more rich questions and discussions, I don't know that they would translate out of context of the trainings and the discussions, further discussions we were having. I'm hoping the four questions I chose were clear enough to stand on their own. Either way, I'd love your feedback. If you like this approach, let me know. I'm testing everything probably for this first six months, guests, AMA, deep thoughts as I go with this podcast to see where we land. I'm wide open. It's a big test of change and experimenting. So as always, thank you so much for those that are listening, consistently listening. Please, please, please give feedback, uh, like, reviews, share on your social media if you find something interesting. All those things are very helpful in the podcast world. But then again, I do this for me as a creative endeavor, and I hope you get something out of it. So I hope you have a great day, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for Live Stoked, Lead Stoked. We know you're busy, so it means the world to me that you'd spend this time with us. If you're interested in digging deeper on the topics discussed today, be sure to check out the show notes for resources and links related to this episode. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you found this to be time well spent. Your support helps us immensely. Plus, consider leaving a review. They're like virtual high fives, and I appreciate every one of them. Finally, stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Feel free to shoot us a message or a question. Your stories and experiences enrich the community we're building here, and you never know, your question may end up on a monthly Ask Me Anything. So until next time, keep subscribing, keep reviewing, and keep living your most stoked life. We'll be back with more inspiration stories and insights. See you then.